Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Raywood, Deputy Editor. And Michael Hill here as well, Editor. Thank you so much for joining this, our latest episode in our podcast series. And a big thank you to go out to Trusted Computing Group for their sponsorship of this episode. So formed in 1999, the Trusted Computing Group has published over 100 specifications for advancing cybersecurity best practices and standards and created 25 certified trusted platform modules, which have been deployed worldwide to protect against the cyber attacks of today and beyond. So huge thank you to Trusted Computing Group for their sponsorship of this episode. Yes, and welcome to episode 19 of the Into Security podcast. And I'm going to kick things off, actually, with a story which, as we record, we literally wrote in the last couple of days. Now, we've seen insider threat reports be talked about for basically for years and years. But I think one of the issues with insider threat is that not many, not many people actually, first of all, report it. And not many people actually are sort of disclosing that they've actually suffered an insider threat incident. Well, a kind of a new, um, it could even be a benchmark moment, actually, because um, a Canadian e-commerce merchant called Shopify reported it detected an on going inside a threat case. They put a statement out saying they've become aware of an incident involving two members, two rogue members, actually word they used, of our support team engaged in a scheme to obtain customer transactional records of certain merchants. Now, certain merchants apparently is fewer than 200 merchants, but data stolen includes, well, they've put some details in there, including emails, names, addresses, order details, and products and services purchased. Complete payment card numbers or other sensitive personal or financial information were not part of this incident. They actually were able to detect this and of course they immediately terminated the individual's access to the Shopify network, referred them both to law enforcement and the instance law enforcement and they said we are currently working with the FBI and other international agencies in their investigation of these criminal acts. Uh, they do not have evidence of the data being utilised. We are in the early stages of the investigation and will be updating the affected merchants. Um, they disclosed there was no technical vulnerability, there was no uh, zero days or anything like that being used in the platform to enable this insider threat so other stores may have had their customer data exposed but they said they don't take these events lightly we have zero tolerance for platform abuse and we'll take action to preserve the confidence of our community and the integrity of our product now quite a huge deal so we talked to a few people about this and one person we talked to was lita forte she's the partner at red goat cyber llp and she actually wrote a report last year on insider threats she said insiders are notoriously dangerous and although they're rare they yield access legitimately granted that external attackers would only dream of they're hugely damaging from a reputational standpoint lita said and perhaps more so than other attacks we also talked to a couple of other people. Warren Poshman, who's from Comfort AG, he called the incident the perfect example of the risks many organisations face. Because it's immediately, it's hard to uh, immediately identify a rogue employee or malicious insider. The damage they can do can be irreversible. Now, also, we moderated a webinar. I literally, as we record the, the day after, the day before uh, we record this podcast, we actually did a webinar on the theme of insider threat. Now, uh, unaware to me, and you can make your own jokes about this, it's Insider Threat Awareness Month. Now, I, we, we did joke before we went live. I was completely unaware of this awareness month uh lisa thankfully who was on that actually on that podcast on that webinar excuse me so she was actually all all very aware of it but we talked quite in detail about is this going to be a bit of a benchmark incident there was another incident back in august uh, involving tesla where someone was apparently bribed with a million dollars to put ransomware on the tesla network where we're now seeing more of a case of insider threats coming out like it's only two in comparison to the number of cyber attacks from external attackers which you know obviously don't get reported and for a long time the only attacks etc that we only saw reported were those done by the uh, reported by the ICO so it's quite an interesting step forward and um, Brian Honan was another person we talked to he was CEO of BH Consulting and he said that 
insider threat is one of the hardest threats from companies to manage as they're already within the company systems and are trusted users. And he ensured that said companies ensure they have the appropriate measures in place to manage the insider threat, such as restricting user access, uh, segregating roles and duties and monitoring for suspicious or unusual behavior. So something we talked about a little bit on, on the webinar we did this week, which was Code 42, was about is this going to be an increased risk because of remote working? Are people going to have more open access because that's just the way we work these days? And could it allow it because you're a bit less to be caught physically as it were you know chances of running out with uh, with disk drives under your well it's a bit 1980s that image but you know under your arm is a bit unlikely these days but if it's all in the cloud and the, the access is more open it could be more realistic so i think michael this was quite an interesting one i think it, it got a bit of coverage and you know we did get some interest in the story but i think we don't see many insider threat stories you know we can all point to cambridge analytica and edward snowden which are such huge instances and even of course you know chelsea manning and wikileaks but this was one where first of all the company seemed to get ahead of the story and secondly, uh, you know, they've actually they've come out of this looking pretty good that they've able to actually resolve it. But of course, reputationally, they could end up being one of the benchmark cases because everyone's going to say, why did your employees do this? Yeah, it's just quite rare that we actually do see these kind of intended actions being taken maliciously. You know, we hear a lot about insider threat and what I see a lot of it is kind of accidental, you know, behavior or, or just kind of um, misunderstanding when it comes to, to users and workers making, you know, honest mistakes, I guess, which are a bigger of a risk in themselves. It was a particularly interesting one. I think you raise a good point there with regards, obviously, the remote working norm at the moment and what's been the case, you know, for the majority of this year. It has kind of opened up some new avenues of insider threat where your insiders are, well, always outside really now in terms of outside your kind of traditional network when you used to have them in the office so it does kind of open up some new risks as well that need to be taken into consideration so i think inside a threat will take on a new um importance next year with regards to okay how do we approach it with the view that our workforce is going to be highly remote going forward and and for the foreseeable future so yeah like i said it's a big story got quite a lot of traction on that one so yeah we'll um, well we'll see if there's any any further developments in that one for sure the story that i want to touch upon first First, then, is um, some research that was actually released by WatchGuard Technologies, and this formed part of their internet security report. So they actually released some findings which suggested that evasive malware threats are on the rise despite a decline in overall attacks. So they said that over two-thirds, so 70% of all malware attacks involved Evasive zero-day malware in Q2 of 2020, which is a 12% rise on the previous quarter. Interestingly, the increase is in the form of malware, which circumvents antivirus signatures, which has come as overall malware detections fell by 8% compared to Q1. Now, WatchGuard said that this would come down to the rise in remote working, of course, brought about by COVID, as less employees are operating behind corporate network perimeters, as I kind of mentioned there as we were looking at the insider threat angle. Just some more findings that they released. Around 34% of attacks were sent over encrypted HTTPS connections, meaning that organizations are unable to inspect Encrypted traffic will miss over one third of incoming threats. So commenting on the findings, we had Corey Neshrader, CTO of WatchGuard, who said the rise in sophisticated attacks, despite the fact that overall malware detections declined in Q2, likely due to the shift to remote work, shows that attackers are turning to more evasive tactics than traditional signature-based anti-malware defenses, which they obviously can't catch. Um, every organization should be prioritizing behavior 
based threat detection, cloud-based sandboxing, and a layered set of security services to protect both the core network as well as remote workforces. So an interesting one, Dan, it, a decline in overall malware attacks, but an increase in evasive malware. Like Corey said there in the comment, almost kind of suggesting that once again, attackers are kind of upping the ante and the uh, sophistication of, of their attacks and the malware they're deploying. Yeah, I think if you look at this year, we've seen, uh, personally, I think we've seen fewer stories about kind of nation state stuff. And I'm sure I'm probably wrong. And there's probably as many as there are ever, but uh, maybe just we get a little bit more blind to it. But I think, you know, generally evasive malware is an interesting one. It's been kind of buzzing around for a few years. But I think that maybe that we've gone through the spell of the kind of the more basic malware related to COVID to maybe kind of getting, maybe I don't want to say business as normal, but almost things are returning to normal. And speaking of attacks, my second story, our third story today is around actually a report that we ran just over a week ago, actually. Now, this was from the National Cybersecurity Centre here in the UK. They're, of course, the, the division of GCHQ, which have the, the base in, in, in the centre of London, and they're a bit more public-facing as well. Now, they put out alerts every now and again. And actually, funny, the last one actually was related to sort of nation-state attacks, actually, on pharmaceutical businesses trying to develop a, a vaccine for COVID-19. This one, however, though, was a, a bit more less technical, actually, but it caught quite a lot of attention because it was talking about how uh, academia, in particular universities, are facing attacks. They said that they're faced with fresh warnings of cyber attacks in August when students returned uh, and they issued an alert saying a recent spike particularly in ransomware attacks it had observed remote desktop protocols and unpatched software and hardware being utilized as well as hackers using phishing emails to deploy ransomware so we talked to a couple of people about this about why all of a sudden universities are coming a bit of a uh, of a target Paul Chichester who's the director of operations at the NCSC uh, he called the targeting of education sector utterly reprehensible at such a challenging time and he said while these have not been isolated incidents he urged all academic institutions take heed of their alerts and put in place steps it suggested. David Cork, who's from the Association of Colleges, called for a whole college approach and a, a focus wider than just systems to include supporting leaders, teachers and students. And we also talked to Alan Woodward, who is a visiting professor at the University of Surrey. He cited the breach of Blackboard, which I think we discussed in, certainly in a previous podcast, one of maybe two ago, and also other incidents involving cybersecurity incidents at academia. Now, we've covered some of these on Info Security, included Newcastle and Northumbria universities, and also Sheffield Hallam, which I think was tied to the Blackburn incident. And he said, the issue is universities by their nature are quite open environments and they're open for sharing. It means it's easy for attackers to get in and plant the ransomware. At the moment, of course, most of the school year has uh, started, as it were, and maybe in the last uh, few weeks, people are you know coming in, they're bringing their laptops in, their devices, their USB sticks, if people still use those, I certainly do. Um, and they're, they're plugging into networks. So it's quite an easy sort of open network for attackers to get into. In terms of the steps then, so the NCSC recommended uh, having effective vulnerability management and patching procedures, uh, secure remote desktop protocols, including multi-factor authentication, enabling antivirus and phishing. Now, listen to that. You know, if you read this in the story, you might think there's nothing about that that's particularly sophisticated, but it all falls back on what we call the basics over and over again, the situation where if you do the basics right, you know, you, you, you make things easier. And I think that's absolutely the case here because Woodward, he said, um, that should be seen as a bare minimum of what you should be doing and have someone responsible who can talk to the NCSC because he actually cited that University of Surrey has now got a CISO actually is able to look after that. So maybe that could be the way we see things going. And also, we, we talked to a few people, you know, why, why are universities being targeted? Because I'm going to guess they're not particularly cash rich. It's not, it's not where all the money is, like a bank or an, an auditor or someone like that. I guess they're a sort of information rich. So why would they hit them with ransomware rather than espionage attacks? So it was quite an interesting one, Michael, as to why that has been the case. But I guess it 
you know, like the whole analogy about why do you rob a bank? That's where the money is. You know, that's just where the attention is. And mm-hmm. if they haven't got so much of a sophisticated security setup, maybe they're more likely to pay the ransom. Yeah, that's a good point. I think universities and colleges and, you know, schools that, that, that we kind of see involved in these attacks do seem to have a less sophisticated approach to cybersecurity. And I think that's the case across a lot of, you know, the public sector. I think an interesting part of this, particularly kind of this year, is you just think how kind of remote the education system has become with, you know, okay, things are kind of opening up now and getting back to more more normal what we would be used to seeing. But for months we had, you know, uh, lectures, lessons being taught remotely from all over the world. And that opened up a new avenue as well for, for attack. So, yeah, I mean, it's good to see that this warning's come out and that it should hopefully raise some awareness and, and get kind of universities and colleges and, and, and schools to kind of take a good look at um, their cybersecurity. I think they're going to obviously need support and I think government input is going to be very important for them. Yeah, I mean, it's not a nice thought when you think about, you know, universities and colleges are, are places of learning where people are kind of developing and stuff and, you know, they're, they're coming under a, attack, these institutions. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, a bit of a concerning trend that's certainly picked up this year. But there we go. I guess it's, it's one of those things we need to keep an eye on and, and see where it goes. Um, the last news story from me then that I want to just flag is a, a piece around the importance of engaging cybersecurity awareness training. Now, this was some uh, research that was released by the Osterman Research Company, and they actually have stated that the way cybersecurity awareness training is conducted in organisations has a huge bearing on employees' subsequent security outlook and behaviours. Now, interestingly, the researchers discovered that users who found security training very interesting were over 13 times more likely to make fundamental changes to how they think about security compared to those who consider the training boring. No, so they uh, surveyed 1,000 US employees, just everyday employees, IT managers and decision makers. They also found that the quantity of security awareness training giving makes a major difference too, with the ability of staff to spot and deal with security threats such as phishing and business email compromise improving as more training is provided. Another interesting point. Encouragingly, it did appear from the research that organisations are set to place much greater emphasis on security awareness training going forward, with around 45% of employees surveyed expecting to spend 15 minutes or more per month in training by mid-2020. That's a rise from 26% in this year 2020 in addition this type of training was regarded as just as important as technology in dealing with security threats by respondents despite that though the authors of the research said that although organizations generally want to establish a strong cybersecurity culture it security and business leaders are not effectively conveying that idea to a large proportion of their employees with senior it and decision business management much more enthusiastic about security awareness training than non-management employees overall the report noted that security and IT leaders, the staff members and business leaders are largely on board with the idea that developing a strong cybersecurity culture is important. Everyday employees, however, are much less convinced about the importance of doing so, indicating that the goal of developing a robust security culture has not yet been achieved in most organisations. An interesting one then, Dan, I did find that kind of top finding there that those who those who find security training very interesting are 13 more times more likely to make fundamental change than those who, who who consider it to be boring. I mean, I, 
obviously make make sense on paper, but I wonder why it's 13 times more likely. It seems quite a significant jump. If you actually think about it, of course, you know, it makes perfect sense. And it does kind of shine a light on, on the fact that too much cybersecurity training these days is is pretty boring, really, and not, in, not, not engaging and not interesting. And I think, again, going into next year, I think that's a big thing that does need to change, particularly, you know, as we come keep coming back to the remote working angle, you know, training and awareness raising efforts that kind of takes into consideration just how often workers will be remote. And yeah, brings to brings to their attention and heightens their awareness of, of the risks they may find when working remotely that may be heightened than if they were kind of in, in the office. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's also the case that if it's boring, you wonder, is it just not being kind of delivered in a very interesting way? Because it's it's not fun to be kind of told the same thing over and over again. Because if, if we go back to the NCSC advice, a lot of this stuff was actually pretty standard. Now, of course, that was more for the network. But if it's like, you should use secure password, you should use 2FA, it's like, do you know what? We've been preaching this for, for so many years now. And if people think, oh, I've heard all this before about why I need to have a unique password and all that, people are just going to think, oh, I'm sick of hearing this. I'm going to you know, mentally switch off. I think that would suggest that maybe the, the way it's being delivered. But yeah, it's good that some people are, of course, actually taking that on board. It's uh, That's a positive side. Mm. Yeah, sure. I completely agree with you, Dan. So that rounds up some of our top news stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing those. Uh, We are just going to pause now for a quick word from our uh, sponsor. Trusted Computing Group, enabling secure computing through specifications and open standards created by leading industry professionals. Fantastic. So thanks once again to Trusted Computing Group for their sponsorship of this episode. Um, Okay, so moving things on then, um, we are recording this episode just a couple of days after wrapping up our most recent online summit, Dan, which was obviously a great uh, two days event, back-to-back sessions, the usual kind of fun and games with lots of discussions going on, various sessions in different formats. So we thought that it would be a nice idea for us to reflect on our personal highlights from the sessions that we moderated from the event, just to give you a, a quick overview. And obviously, if you've not had the chance to view any of the sessions yet, you can go and attend the event now on demand, which is available through our website. I'll just kick things off quickly then, Dan, with a few kind of standout points that I took away from the event. One of those was a a panel session that I moderated, uh, which kicked off day two of the event, which was the uh, looking at the modern CISO and leading from the front of organization. Had a really great panel of CISOs and CISO representatives on that session, discussing various elements of the modern CISO role. And just a real kind of key takeaway for me from that was that the, the modern CISO role now is, is kind of moving away from a deeply technical, even security expert, and very much becoming a, a business-minded enabler. I think one of our speakers, Charlie Sim, actually referred referred to it as being an entrepreneur and, and, and kind of thinking outside the box with regards to, okay, what are the key ways that we can align our cybersecurity concepts and approaches to the business goals? And yeah, it's kind of, you're always seeing that the uh, transformation of the of the CISO to a modern business enabler role that, yeah, I just found uh, really interesting. Yeah, I, I was able to moderate four panels altogether, uh, two, two shorter ones, half hour ones, and two of the longer ones. I guess this will be a standout moment for me. Was this the first time we've done video content um, in the, uh, now we've, of course, you've seen videos from us uh, when we've done Info Security Europe, when we've done RSA Conference, but here we're actually doing live video webinars for the first time. Yeah, it was all a little bit little bit interesting on that first morning. I did actually, I did the very first session, which opened day one uh, around the impact of COVID-19 
seen on oh, well on, on cybersecurity specifically with a really really great panel of people that I'd featured in a, a previous article. And if, yeah, it was it was a little bit uh, a little bit uh, what's the word hairy should we say to try and get that make sure we were up and running. But you know it's nothing like being on the slightly on your on your toes to keep you uh, keep you alert. And it was a really interesting conversation. We tried to cover as many parts of it as we could, whether it was from the perspective of like uh, compliance. So you know keeping your compliance posture up to date, and also you know working with auditors. We had a Gemma Moore from Cybris talking about that. Uh, we talked about the education perspective with um, Stephen Fennell from the University of Nottingham. And going back to the university perspective, we were just talking about now, and he was talking about that how it's being delivered from a university and how that's impacting him. And also you know a couple of other people from the CISO side, from Sneak and from Netscope, who were, so we were talking about the attacks and the, the real sort of scale up to remote working. So it was it was a really really interesting experience because it's you know, we've written about COVID nineteen impact on security just so extensively since since March really. So it was nice to actually better talk to people in person and see some faces as well or you know have a great conversation about it yeah that was a particularly great session now i thoroughly enjoyed that one and like you say yeah that topic of, of covid and looking forward now and looking at the key areas that uh, security is going to going to have to overcome and challenge and, and address um, in the future was is a particularly interesting uh, debate just a couple of other key highlights for me then i had a, a great uh, how-to session with virtual CISO david fox who actually presented on how to align cybersecurity with uh, business goals so i actually find this a really interesting topic and you know looking at how modern cybersecurity needs to fit into the wider business goals and and going about doing doing that and yeah he shared a really great presentation on his on his key best practices for doing that and the various business elements that security needs to be able to adapt to and understand if modern security is going to be a success and also just another quick mention is that I actually had a, a moderated a great point counterpoint session uh, discussing the issue of security versus privacy now that's a debate which is ongoing and always seems to crop up in an interesting way. Some really in- interesting findings came out of that one and some great points. So I was joined by Dave Klein and, and Darren Way, obviously each uh, fighting their own particular corner really with regards to the importance of security and the importance of privacy and when one outweighs the other and when one should outweigh the other and the different uh, frictions that can arise. Some really interesting takeaway points from that is just the, the growing impact that different data privacy laws and regulations are having now with regards to people's you know data privacy and just how far security can go and where actually the limits are with regards to people's privacy and accessing data. So yeah, just um, those are the key highlights uh, for me from the uh, two days. Yeah, I should, like you, I did a how-to session and a, a point-counterpoint. So the how-to session was done very late on the second day, actually. It was uh, I did that, I recorded that, we broadcast it live. It was just after nine o'clock on, on Wednesday evening with uh, Raphael Lose looking at app security and uh, how do you manage app security in the cloud. And, uh, you know, I've worked with, with Raph recently. We did an interview with him as part of his new job. Yeah, he absolutely blew me away. So if it was any sort of tiredness creeping into me, it was absolutely, because it was so engaging talking about DevOps around ways of working. And, you know, we had to squeeze it all into a 30-minute session. And he came off saying he really enjoyed it, which was just great because it was so engaging to listen to. And on day one, I did the point counterpoint between Javad Malik and Aaron Vishwanath about uh, does security awareness work or not? Now, I, I told both of them that let's keep this relatively lighthearted. We're not here for a comedy act, but let's try and keep this, you know, to be slightly entertaining because it, it's a subject that you can go quite deep on, as you know, you were talking about, Michael, with your you know, bore, uh, behavior, the training boring thing. So I said, let's try and make this quite entertaining. So we did. And thankfully, they were, they were both just fantastic speakers. They both brought the great perspectives to it. And we actually did a, a vote asking the audience whether you thought yes or no and yes one completely um as the sort of yes it does work so so 
Javad was credited as the winner, but he actually came back and agreed, no, it's never going to be resolved. So he actually stood right back in the middle. It was absolutely a terrific session. And hopefully when all these uh, sessions are on demand, by the time you're listening to this podcast, they should be available to watch again. So you can check out most of these and all the other content, which uh, James and Eleanor and Danny also moderated. So, and, uh, and I did another panel on cyber insurance. So yeah, just a really good thing to be involved with. It's uh, it, a lot of work goes into it. We start planning this several months ahead and, you know, writing the agenda and appointing the speakers and doing the promotion. But to deliver it, uh, well, second one in a row we've done, isn't it now? Because the first one, sorry, um, from home, I mean, um, previously we've been in the office, but last one, of course, we'd just been locked down, hadn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a quite a big piece of work to take on, but yeah, fantastic, fantastic event. And like, uh, like you say there, it's uh, now available on demand for, for anyone to go back and watch. So if you didn't join us over the uh, two days, do feel free to check out the website. You can sign up and you can watch all of the uh, sessions on demand at your own leisure. So do go and check them out if you so wish. Okay, well, we'll wrap this episode up then. So uh, obviously a big thank you uh, to you all for listening to us. And of course, a huge thank you to Trusted Computing Group as well for the sponsorship of this episode. And we'll wrap things up there and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. You can find out more information on our news, articles and events at infosecuritymagazine.com. 